Chapter 3, Boilerplate, Continued. Contract Tip, Force Majeure, Core Concepts to Include. Force Majeure provisions provide a framework for dealing with events and circumstances that delay or prevent performance. They outline the specific events that excuse obligations and the party's options if those events continue. Here are seven concepts to include in every force majeure provision. One, the definition of events that trigger the rights in the provision, such as force majeure events means fires, wars, invasions, embargoes, and so forth. Two, whether the rights apply to one or both parties, such as seller or both parties. Three, the event's impact on the affected party's contract obligations, such as will not be liable nor deemed in default for any delay or failure. Four, nexus between the event and the contract obligations, such as to the extent such delay or default arises from or relates to the force majeure event. Five, notice requirements and the process for exercising rights, such as the affected party shall notify the other. Six, obligations to mitigate and resume performance as soon as possible, such as the affected party shall diligently work to mitigate the impact and resume performance. Seven, rights of the other party if it lasts a specific period such as, if the delay or failure continues for X days, the other party may. Contract tip, force majeure, descriptive part of definition. The descriptive part of the force majeure event definition establishes the circumstances under which a party should be excused from their delay or failure to perform their obligations. These descriptions are often followed or preceded by a list of examples. The descriptive part of the definition include one or more of these elements. One, unforeseeable circumstance. Two, outside the party's control. Three, that could not have been prevented with reasonable risk mitigation strategies. How you word and structure the different parts of the description depends on your client's priorities. If you represent the party with the bulk of the contract's obligations, typically the vendor, you'll want to make qualifying for a force majeure event easier. Here's a typical broad approach. Force majeure event means any event or circumstances beyond the seller's control. You'll want to narrow that description if you represent a customer that depends on the vendor's performance. We do this by adding requirements to the different parts of the force majeure provision, making it harder for the vendor to qualify. For example, you could say, force majeure event means an unforeseeable circumstance that unexpectedly occurs and is beyond the reasonable control of seller, its affiliates, and their respective suppliers and that could not have been prevented or its impact reduced with risk mitigation strategies.
contract tip. Force majeure, including adverse business conditions. Force majeure provisions are intended to excuse a party when circumstances make it impossible or impractical to perform. Often these provisions include a long list of things that could fall into that category. War, explosions, and earthquakes are not usually challenged when they appear in the list. But there is more debate about whether the list should include common adverse business conditions. The question is whether the customer waiting for supply bears the risk if the vendor faces different types of adverse business circumstances. One example is a shortage of raw materials. Yes, a shortage may make performance harder and potentially more expensive, but should that allow the vendor not to perform if there are some available at a higher price? The same with equipment malfunctions. Perhaps the vendor could have mitigated the situation by performing more robust maintenance or paying for better technical support or having backup supply arrangements. If I'm the customer, I try to limit the force majeure events that my vendor can claim by limiting what situations are involved and included in the definition. I also ensure the force majeure event definition stands alone independent of these examples. That way, the list examples apply only if the descriptive definition is met. Contract tip, force majeure, listing examples. How you list examples in a force majeure provision may matter. How specific event examples sit in a sentence with other words can affect the interpretation. Here are two ways to present a list of force majeure event examples. Force majeure event means any event outside the party's control, including fire, war, etc. The second way is force majeure event means fire, war, etc. and any event outside the party's control. The first definition is broad. Notice that the list doesn't limit the definition scope, but clarifies what falls into it. When I represent vendors, I would prefer to word it this way. The second definition is narrower. We've defined the term using examples and added a catch-all at the end. Courts often interpret that kind of catch-all as limited to those similar to the listed examples. So when I represent customers, I prefer the second way. I'd also probably add the word similar before event to emphasize that point. Contract tip, further assurance provisions. A further assurances provision requires a party to perform reasonable actions at the request of the other party. While these provisions are crucial in corporate and financing documents, they have less importance in most commercial contracts. The seven parts of these provisions in commercial contracts are 1. Who is required to provide further assurances? One or both parties. And what about their affiliates? 2. Is there a timeliness requirement? 3. What must the provider do? It can be broad and vague or limited to a specific task. 4. Who pays for the provider's expenses in performing the tasks? Five, 
What level of the requester's need creates the performer's obligation? Is it a necessity or just any request? And in whose opinion? Six, what is the scope or subject matter for this obligation? Should there be a reasonableness qualifier? Seven, does the obligation survive termination? If it's important that the counterparty must perform specific actions related to the contract, then consider beefing up this provision. You may even want to add a power of attorney. One last thing, don't confuse further assurances with adequate assurances. The latter concept allows a party to demand proof of the other's ability to perform. Contract tip, no oral amendment provisions. These provisions state that the contract can be amended only in writing and no oral amendments are allowed. We include these provisions for a few reasons. One is to prevent unintended contract changes. Another is the statute's rod, which requires some contracts and amendments to be in writing. While U.S. courts generally enforce these provisions, you should know that not all do. The law in some states allow the court to find the parties later waive this provision through their course of conduct. While some of these provisions are limited to just the no oral amendment part, others then set standards for how to do amendments for that contract. Here are some of the approaches. One. All amendments must be in writing. This language by itself doesn't do a whole lot. Isn't every email a writing by the parties? Do you mean that every email can serve as an amendment? This approach also establishes a vague standard for the judge and arbitrator to apply. I prefer leaving the issue to applicable law than adding a vague standard to the mix. Two, add and signed by their authorized representatives. This approach is better, but with electronic signature laws, you risk that signing an email with your name could satisfy this requirement. Three, add that identifies itself as an amendment of the agreement. This is my preferred approach and I'm one I recommend and use.